Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So SEC Media Days began yesterday, and the Georgia Bulldogs obviously get their turn at bat on Wednesday, but just because the dogs were not there, it didn't stop me from having a chance to ask another SEC coach about his feelings about UGA, a guy that unfortunately, if you're him, has to compete with the reigning national champions in his own division. That's Missouri coach Eli Drinkwitz. I think that Drinkwitz is a pretty interesting figure all the way around just because you know, certainly he has a little bit different look than a lot of the other SEC coaches. That's been well documented. He's one of the few guys in college football in general that actually didn't play college football. So that's a little bit different when it comes to Drinkwitz there as well. This is just kind of a different figure all the way around. But when he speaks, he's, I think, sometimes pretty interesting. So one of the questions I had a chance to ask Drinkwitz yesterday, you know, you come into the SEC, uh, you know, you know, you're going to have a challenge. And then all of a sudden now you've got in your division a team like Georgia that won the national championship. That's me giving a summary of the question. Let me just let you hear me asking Drinkwitz that question. It sets us up for a fun conversation. Here is Drink on UGA. When you entered the SEC, you knew it was going to be a big challenge. And since you've been here, Georgia, a team that you play every year in your division, has emerged as a national champion. What does that mean to you? You know, what do you think about having the national champions in your division? What's the challenge of that like for you? I mean, that's ultimately the, that's what you're trying to play for every year is the championship. And so you have an opportunity to measure yourself against the best. Uh, you know what it's going to take. Uh, and you also know if you can win your division, then you have an opportunity to play for the championship. That's why for us our goal is to win the SEC East um, because we know that uh, if you do that, the rest of the season's goals will take care of themselves. I was listening to Drinkwitz speaking there in, in the rest of the press conference. I had a chance to be in with him yesterday, and I was thinking about some of that kind of stuff and how different the SEC East is right now because of the rise of Georgia and how, in some respects, you know, I think that luck plays a little bit of a role in almost anything that happens in anyone's life. Good luck, bad luck, everything else in between. You know, part of any one story involves a certain measure of luck, and for as good a coach as Kirby Smart has been and as successful as he's proven to be and his you know, thought process and his, his uh, commitment to details and all the effort that he puts into it certainly helps explain the success, he also benefited from at least one stroke of luck when he first took this job at Georgia in 2016 in that there really wasn't a team like Georgia in the SEC East at that time. You know, the two, what, uh, you look at the the Smart's first year, the year before that, and the two previous years before he got here, the teams that had won the SEC East had been Missouri a couple of times and Florida a couple of times, but nowhere near the same kind of Florida that had been led by Urban Meyer or Steve Spurrier. There just wasn't a big behemoth in the SEC East when Kirby Smart took this job in 2016. And so it made, I think, the task of building George into a winner very quickly I think that task was made easier by the fact that you didn't have this firmly established power that you're trying to work against or work around or having to deal with really in any way. And so you saw Georgia start to collect success very quickly. You know, won the division for the first time in 2017, not just winning those games, but winning them all by like two touchdowns or more and kind of keeping a, a similar pattern in place every year since then. And now 
if you're Neil Drinkwitz, who's been at Missouri since 2020, or other SEC East coaches, who I'm sure will be speaking about Georgia here some this week, all of a sudden you're Drinkwitz and you think, well, you know, winning the division should be a possibility for my program because it's done it a couple times before. But all of a sudden, I'm trying to do this in a division that includes UGA. And by the way, Kirby Smart's you know, in his mid-40s. Uh, Kirby Smart's as confident as he's ever been. I mean, can you imagine what it must be like to be one of these coaches in the SEC East knowing that Georgia's you know, dealing with an unimaginable level of success and they might only just be getting started? And you know, kind of further that conversation a little bit more, I thought last night was great on television. You know, watching the Year of the Dog documentary the SEC Network did, I think one of the things that made it so cool was it sort of feels like this is the kind of thing we get in the NFL all the time. I happen not to like the NFL anywhere near as much as I like college football. Not to say I don't like it at all. It's just a secondary sport for me in comparison to the sport that I love more than anything else, which is college football. But because the NFL media ecosystem is so big, you get NFL films and these style of documentaries all the time. Even week to week, you get a lot of this. You ever watch like Inside the NFL and stuff like that? You get a good bit of kind of behind the scenes footage of what's happening in the NFL. I don't know that you get a lot of that in college football. There is just a very iron fist that controls most of the media stuff related to college football. But last night, we got some of that with Georgia on the way to its national championship season on the year of the dog. Now, there was a lot of this stuff that was really cool from this documentary. Some of it I don't know that perfectly translates to the podcast, things like that, some really cool footage and and, and whatnot. But in light of what Eli Drinkwitz was just saying right there, the Missouri coach saying, hey, our goal is to win the East. When you look at Georgia, we want to do what they're doing. Well, my gosh, good luck with that because I think what we saw behind the scenes and some of the footage on display on the SEC network last night is a Georgia coach in Kirby Smart who's just quite confident and sort of assure, comfortable in his own skin, and maybe no moment in last night's documentary better illustrated that than some of the pregame footage before the SEC championship game. Now, what's ironic about this, and you already have probably filled in the gaps on this in your own mind, which is that's the single worst moment of the season for Georgia. They got blasted by Alabama in the SEC championship. But in terms of re-watching all this last night, a couple of those pregame moments from Smart before that game were actually some of the coolest things in this entire hour-long show. And we'll play a little audio from this and we'll set it up for you. You're gonna see an or you're gonna hear an interaction that Kirby Smart had with his son. Is Andrew, is that his name? With his son, uh, where uh the son's asking Kirby, hey, are you nervous? He asked, asked him that uh, a couple of times, and that's kind of cool. And then there's just kind of a jump cut to Kirby talking to George Pickens. And then kind of a jump cut to Kirby talking to Adnai Mitchell, uh, another wide receiver. And in, in light of a guy like Eli Drinkwood saying, hey, our goal is to win the SEC East. Our goal is to be doing what George is doing. Well, a very confident Kirby Smart seems to be suggesting on last night's Year of the Dog documentary, they don't plan on relinquishing their stranglehold on the SEC East anytime soon. This is good stuff from Kirby from last night, Year of the Dog. Andrew! Love you, boy. Love you too. Hey, no matter what happens, you my son. You know that? Yeah. Love you, boy. You nervous? Nah. Hey, be patient today, because you know you're not in everything, yeah. so you can't get frustrated when you're not in. Okay? No frustration. 
know what I mean? You're, you're going to build to a crescendo, and it may not be today. Because no matter what happens, we got another shot. Yeah. And, he, and you may get 10 catches, you may get one, you may get zero, but help everybody else. You look good. You're going to get a chance to play in here four times, maybe three times. So relax and have fun. Next time you come back, you'll be the lead dog. You got nothing to be nervous about. So let me kind of give you a quick aside for a moment. I want to get back to the topic at hand. First of all, let's just stop and bask for a minute. Like, how good is that? Like, how good is that open mic on Kirby before that game? You hear his son ask him twice, are you nervous? Are you nervous? That's a young man in that particular situation who seems to want some comfort from his daddy, and Kirby just gives it to him, man. That's a good – in addition to being a good coach, he's got time to be a good dad before the game takes place. There's something just really kind of nice about that. And the way in which, you know, he calmed some potential nerves from George Pickens, or in Pickens' case, maybe a little bit of just, uh, you know, you know, Pickens is a high-energy type guy. Maybe he's trying to kind of turn that energy down a little bit to make sure he's kind of at the right place he needs to be before that game. And then with uh, A.D. Mitchell, hey – you know, and Kirby doesn't say this in sort of a boastful, braggadocious way. I think he's trying to keep A.D. Mitchell from pressing too hard in any one game, but saying, you're going to play in this game four times or three times, assuming he may go to the NFL after his junior season. You're going to play in this game every year of your career, uh, so so don't go out there and try to do too uh, too much right now. That's kind of a cool thing to hear from Kirby Smart, but in light of the topic, we're also – discussing right now but sec east coach saying hey georgia is where you want to be as the coach of the sec east champs i guess good luck with that because based on what you heard last night from kirby smart on year of the dog he plans on being in the sec championship game in each of the next four years at least if not for many more years beyond that you've seen the t-shirt we made it years ago and a lot of folks still wear them own the east the idea that the division was georgia's for the taking each and every year not just a one-year thing uh kirby smart came about as close as one's ever going to come to saying own the east there last night uh so i thought that was kind of neat but to get back to eli drinkwitz here for a moment we know how that story ends for uh kirby smart and the georgia bulldogs they don't win that game against alabama the uh, audio you were just hearing leading into that sec title game but they do come back and get the win the national championship something else that missouri coach eli drinkwitz also saw and something he told me yesterday that honestly he was quite impressed with how georgia played in those postseason moments down the stretch, including getting that revenge against the Crimson Tide, this more from the Missouri coach on Kirby and the Dogs. Obviously, Kirby's done a, a tremendous job of establishing the culture. Uh, you can see it throughout his his program. Uh, you can see it in how he recruits. You can see it in how he plays the game. Uh, you can see it in how his phases of the game complement each other. Uh, you could see it in the fourth quarter as they figured out a way uh, to, to really outplay Alabama down the stretch in the championship game. And so kudos to him in, in that program. And, and now it's our challenge for us to get to that level. I just think it's nice if you're a Georgia fan to hear another SEC coach acknowledge the success that UGA has had and the role that Kirby Smart has played in leading Georgia to that success, both in the national championship season and all the years prior to that, leading up to Georgia breaking through in that big way. And I'll kind of finish with this. You know, yesterday when Ole Miss coach Lane Kiffin started his big room press conference, the first question he received was about Alabama. And 
Kiffin kind of joked about something, I guess, that Kirby Smarts told him behind the scenes, which is, you know, you get to SEC media days and you just sort of end up talking about Alabama because that's what so many of the questions from the media end up being about. And it's easy to understand why that might would have been true in the past. You know, Alabama's won a lot of national championships and Nick Saban has had an unprecedented level of success. But last year was maybe the start of a little bit of a change as it relates to all that that all of a sudden Alabama at least for now is not the bull of the woods in the SEC it is the Georgia Bulldogs and Kirby Smart at the age that he is may only just be getting started here on the video we saw last night on the SEC network he showed a lot of confidence on his way towards a national championship season and a lot of coaches like Eli Drinkwitz may have to do a whole lot more talking about Kirby Smart during SEC Media Days for many years into the future. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is uh, Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, and we are happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us today. Live on uh, video, first and 15, dognation.com. We get going there, 945, dognation.com, dognation app. Also, uh, 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, all kinds of uh, great stuff going for you on video, podcasts, wherever you find them, including the world-famous dognation.com. And uh, Radio Noon, Athens Sports Radio 963. A lot of ways for you to get in touch with the program and watch us, listen to us, whatever else. We're just happy that you do all of that. And a huge thanks to our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia for making it all possible. You know, ESOG, the one you turn to for your foundation, your waterproofing issues. Uh, and that's really important when it comes to uh, this morning when I woke up, there was some rain. And there was a lot of rain in downtown Atlanta for the uh, College Football Hall of Fame already today there as well. And for some of you, when that rain comes in, it leads to a lot of issues because it comes in where it's not supposed to be in your gra- in your garage, your crawl space, uh, down your basement. It's the kind of thing you know you need to do something about. Well, uh, Engineered Solutions of Georgia is the source you turn to when you need to do something about it. They got an entire team of engineers on staff ready to go to work for you. There is nobody else in the market that's able to say they've got those kinds of resources for you. That's what ESOG is all about. Also, foundation issues there as well. You see those cracks in your walls. You see all of that. You know that could be the sign of a more substantial issue. All the more reason to put a solutions-based company like Engineered Solutions of Georgia to work for you. They're also proud partners of UGA make some great to do business with longtime friends of ours here on dog nation daily there as well we certainly appreciate your support uh, of those that support us and they're easy to get in touch with there as well you can simply give them a call 678-ESOG now that's 678-ESOG now that'll get you in touch with our friends at engineered solutions of georgia and i hope you will check them out today and we'll check out connor riley here coming up in a moment we'll do a kroger fresh take with him uh live from sec media days i'll be at the college Football hall of fame later on this afternoon kind of uh catching up with some of the guys who were there then connor they are right now and basically they're all week two so we'll get a live look from him on that coming up in a moment before that though let's go around the doghouse let me remind you that uh, we could have some recruiting news to uh, follow a little bit later on this evening as four-star defensive lineman Jamal Jarrett getting ready to make his announcement tonight, 6.30 p.m. I think it's interesting on this particular graphic, if you're watching on video, you see the decision as the headline, the three different photos of Jarrett showing off the uh, three uniforms of his three finalists. You've got uh, Georgia holding the national championship trophy. You've got UNC holding you know, kind of a replica of a wrestling championship belt. And honestly, many of you are probably very well aware. I think that's really cool because I like pro wrestling. And so the pro wrestling style belt, I, I kind of like. I also think it's really funny. 
the, in the Auburn photo, photo, and I'm not making fun of Jared here. I'm making fun of Auburn. Uh, in the Auburn photo, he's not holding anything. <laughs> like, Auburn doesn't even have fake wrestling belts right now. Like, they literally, as a program, have nothing going for them. Georgia got the national championship, also taking center stage in the photo. You can't help but notice that. UNC showing off a little bit of something. I don't even know where the championship belt would have come from, but kind of cool nonetheless. And poor uh, Auburn in the in the photo, Jarrett just kind of having to hold on to his shoulder pads because Auburn's got no gold to show off right now. I think that's pretty good. I think that's pretty good indeed. So later on this evening, we will uh, get a chance to see where Jarrett's going. Obviously, he has been pitched on being the next Jordan Davis to place like UGA. Of course, Davis also from the state of North Carolina, Mallard Creek. By the way, great stuff from Davis going back to his hometown elementary school this week we'll probably show you some of that on the show uh, at some point time this week when we have more time to be able to do that but the point is is that Jarrett makes his decision tonight as a little bit of a preview for this I want to give you some of Jarrett going back a couple of weeks ago when he was with Jeff Sintel on Before the Hedges presented by Kroger our recruiting show each week here on Dog Nation Jeff asking him more about the official visit what Georgia did well and what Georgia defensive line coach Trey Scott's telling Jamal Jarrett right now about what he could do at UGA. Jarrett gave you some pretty good insight on that. So before we see his commitment decision tonight, let's hear Jarrett in his own words with Dog Nation a couple of weeks ago. Here is Jamal Jarrett. We need a big dude like you to uh, keep the path going that Jordan gave us an insight. So it's uh, pretty much it. His same thing. He's like, you know what you got to do if you want to be great. Jamal, it sounds like you've had three really great official visits so far, but I would like to ask you to compare them. Like, how does Georgia do it differently than Carolina? Georgia, they they really at the top right now. Um, as far as like best official visits, they, uh, I guess they studied from their recruits that they had in the past, and they just made their officials even better based off what the feedback they got from their players. So. Uh, I mean, just the way they presented themselves, like uh, the grand entrance and everything, uh, that really stood out. No slurs did that yet. On the uh, three I've been on, they had a grand entrance and everything. It was pretty cool. So when he talks about the grand entrance, what he's talking about there is, is, and he went on to explain more of this in the interview, that when he arrived at the hotel for the official visit, all like the Georgia assistant coaches were kind of like waiting for him there, almost like a red carpet type deal where – they were greeting him as he got out of the vehicle coming in the hotel, like a big grand entrance, a big greeting as he showed up for his official visit. And it's also interesting, much the same way that you think of the Georgia coaches as watching a lot of film to prepare themselves for games. Also going back and, as Jared says, talking to other recruits about what worked for their official visit and trying to use that intel as a way of making a official visit for future recruits even better, including for Jamal Jarrett. That's actually a really interesting piece of insight from Jarrett uh, there on all of that. So I think that's incredibly cool. Uh, Jamal Jarrett gets ready to make his decision tonight. I would say he's already a popular figure among UGA fans. Of course, in this day and age, you can't count anything as a win until it actually takes place. But Jarrett has certainly earned a lot of love from Georgia fans along the way because he has returned that affection with affection of his own for Georgia. He clearly seems to like Jordan Davis a lot, uh, seems interested in potentially traveling the path that Davis traveled from the Tar Heel State to the University of Georgia into a starring role. We know how important those big interior defensive linemen have been for the dogs. And maybe tonight, Jamal Jarrett stands up and says, I'm ready to be the next one there on that list. 
we will certainly be watching closely to see. That is Around the Doghouse here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia here today. Before we're done, I interacted with SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey some yesterday, and I asked Sankey a direct question that I feel like I've heard from a lot from you, which is that in future years, the SEC is going to look a lot different. Is it too different? Are you concerned with how fans might respond to all of this? I asked that question directly to the SEC commissioner yesterday. We'll let you hear his response to it before we're done on the show today. But for now, everything with recruiting, Jamal Jarrett, what's next at running back, also what's happening right now at SEC Media Days. Let's cover it all with Kroger's, uh, what do we call this? A Kroger Fresh Day with Connor Riley here on Dog Nation Daily today. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Let's say hello to uh, Connor Riley here right now. Kroger Fresh Take with him here on Dog Nation Daily here today. SEC Media Days, of course, happening as we speak. We'll look forward to getting more from Connor on that in just a moment. Connor, before we get there, though, let me bring you in on what we were just uh, discussing, the Jamal Jarrett decision going down tonight. This is a recruit that I think has become popular with UGA fans. This is a position of need, I would say, for Georgia, that next space-eating interior defensive lineman. It's also a cool coincidence that he hails from the same state that Jordan Davis once came from. Uh, You're also on guard this day and age because it seems like anything can happen right before a decision. What do you make of the Jamal Jarrett announcement slated to take place on Tuesday night? Payne's announcement from this weekend showed you that sort of anything can happen, but I think Georgia feels very good about where they are in his recruitment. Uh, if you remember back to when Jamal Jarrett took his official visit to Georgia, Jordan Davis was in town. I don't think that was a coincidence. I think in this Georgia defense, there is an incredible value of having to say true space eating, zero technique, nose guard. And that is exactly what Jamal Jarrett is. 6'6", 350 pounds, impressive spot size and speed get off for him. I think he's a guy who seeing what Georgia did with Jordan Davis is the perfect blueprint to recruit a guy like Jamal Jarrett. You hear Kirby Smart mention it before. The best thing about having a Jordan Davis is that it makes it easier to go out and recruit the next Jordan Davis. And you don't necessarily want to put that on a 17-year-old, but those are the vibes that Jamal Jarrett gives off as he makes his decision tonight between Georgia and North Carolina and Auburn. Should certainly be fun to see. What's a little less fun, as you mentioned a moment ago, is what goes down with Justice Haynes there on Sunday. By now, we've had our take on this. You've written about it. I've talked about it plenty here. But as far as like turning the page goes – you know, people bring up the name Richard Young. That's another elite running back that at, up to this point in time is uncommitted. You start mentioning sort of the running back names kind of down the list, the possibility that maybe Georgia might wait for transfer portal for next season if it needs someone. What do you think the immediate aftermath of Justice Haynes choosing Alabama on Sunday is? And by the way, Georgia continuing to recruit Haynes hard is also an acceptable answer here too. What comes next with the running back position for the Dogs? Yeah, I mean, they have to take at least one high school running back from this ranks just because I think there's a very real possibility that they Kenny McIntosh and Kevin move on to the NFL after this year. And you can maybe, you know, get one transfer running back if the right player becomes available. But let's point out as well, Georgia didn't take any transfers this past year. So for, to expect them to sort of rate and hope that the guy that they want at that running back position becomes available via the transfer portal, it just doesn't uh, fit with how Georgia has operated and used the transfer portal. Uh, you know, they're probably a little bit behind in terms of Richard Young, and now maybe Justice Haynes going to Alabama maybe helps them and makes them a little bit more desperate for a player like Young's talents. Uh, I know Oregon is also very involved in that recruitment there as well. I expect Georgia to work hard to try and flip some possibly other uh, 
committed running backs out there. I know Roderick Robinson out of California, a UCLA commit, is a guy that Georgia had sort of taken a look at, kicked the tires on because, you know, I think they had always wanted to take two running backs in this 2023 recruiting cycle. And I think all of us had Justice Haynes pretty much written in pen. And now with him going to Alabama, and I expect him to ultimately end up at Alabama, barring some unforeseen change. Uh, Georgia is certainly behind the eight ball when it comes to running back recruiting in this class. And I think they absolutely have to take at least one high school running back from this recruiting class. I, I feel like I'm kind of on an island about something as it relates to this topic, at least somewhat connected, which is that for folks who want to see offensive improvement for Georgia in this upcoming season, as good as the offense was a year ago, people think there's still a chance for another step forward in year three under Todd Monken. And I feel like a lot of people zero in on passing game because that's what seems to be working so well for so many other programs, just being dynamic with the quarterback, with the wide receivers, things like that. The honest truth, though, Connor, is if I were to see Georgia take a huge step forward offensively, I think the real opportunity for a value add is at the running back spot with the running game in particular. And I've talked about this plenty over the course of this offseason, and I feel like it's kind of needed to be restated in light of losing Justice Haynes. That in terms of what Georgia once was, not just with Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle, but what it was in 2018 with with uh, DeAndre Swift and Elijah Holyfield, the last three years for Georgia running the football have not really been at that level. Part of that is because they do throw the ball more and throw the ball better than they used to, but that doesn't completely explain it all. Connor, I look at a Georgia rushing attack on the field this season that honestly I think needs to be a little better than it has been, even better than it was last year in a season that ultimately resulted in the Dogs winning a national championship. Yeah, and you mentioned that national championship. Think back to that game. That 67-yard run by James Cook uh, totally swung, I think, the momentum in that game, set up Georgia's first touchdown. You know, you're not going to repeat 67-yard runs a whole lot, but even, you know, Cook getting to that point and ripping off, say, a 15- to 20-yard run, we saw Zamir White sort of have success with that in the second half of that game, but it's not something we saw nearly enough last season. I think you pointed this stat out to me. I think Georgia had 147 uh, passing plays of 10-plus yards last season, only 88 rushes of 10-plus yards. I, those numbers have to improve, and specifically with the rushing numbers, because you need to sort of have that explosive running game just to make it easy. And, you know, I think you and I have talked about this. You can look back to this rushing offense has not been the same since Sam Pittman left. And so I'll be really interested this offensive line this year. I, I think Peg should be the best offensive line since that 2019 unit, uh, Sam Pittman's last year at the University of Georgia. And so I, I think if the offensive line lives up to that potential, specifically the guard position, because their guards which is not good enough last year, in my opinion, uh, to be that sort of dominant offense that you want to see from a rushing standpoint. If that offensive line improves, I believe in the talent in the running back room. But at the same point in time, Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton have to be the guys that consistently create those 10- to 20-yard runs because that's how you score easily. You're not going to rip off a 60-70 yard run every play because that either relies on a true like NFL game breaker or, as you pointed out before, a safety falling down. Those 10- to 20-yard runs, I do believe, can be manufactured. And Georgia needs to do a better job of doing that this season. We've basically been in this box getting ready for the show the entire time that SEC Media Days has been ongoing today. So I've heard very little of what Nick Saban has had to say or Bryce Young or any of the other folks who've been there thus far, although we are seeing some video of Saban arriving uh, at the College Ball Hall of Fame earlier this morning if you're watching on video right now. What has come out, if, if anything, from today? Anything standing out from you from the national runner-ups appearance at SEC Media Days? 
Yeah, I got to spend some time with Bryce Young here, and he had to say, I uh, had some nice things to say about Jermaine Burton. Mentioned that Burton has brought up the national championship game uh, and, and how that turned out for Alabama, given that he was on the Georgia side. Uh, Young has mentioned that that game was a motivator for him and that he looks to sort of, you know, again, the Heisman is nice for him. NIL is nice for him. He wants to win a national title. As, as far as what Nick Saban had to say, uh, very conveniently throughout that Alabama players made $3 million in NIL last year. Uh, at the end there, he was sort of asked to, to talk about losing two assistant coaches, Jimbo Fisher, Kirby Smart, a year ago. Didn't mention Smart or Fisher by name, but then brought up Steve Sarkeesian unprompted and praised Sarkeesian certainly more than he did of Kirby Smart there. So I thought that was a little bit interesting. Didn't get a chance to hear from, from Will Anderson, but we'll have stories coming on that as well. Uh, this Alabama team is talented. I think there are a lot of national media types noting how comfortable Saban felt, how at ease felt about the direction of this team. And, and when you have not just the two best players, in my opinion, in the SEC, but perhaps the two best players in college football in Bryce Young and Will Anderson, I think that certainly helps you out a lot. I'm seeing a tweet from Josh Pate on the screen here. Uh, Saban saying a lot of people are making promises they may or not may not be able to keep when it comes to NIL. Connor, I think that's an interesting statement from Saban, and it goes to something we've talked about plenty of times before, that a lot of these sort of exaggerated financial figures are coming from groups of people that actually haven't raised the money they're offering you know, to these players. There's all kinds of rumors out there involving Jordan Addison right now, who allegedly might be unhappy with the fact that he ain't getting what he's promised there at USC. What do you make about that next phase of this discussion? Apparently Saban touching on that some here today. Yeah, and you and I have talked about this before. I, I think as this NIL school sort of gets run out and we sort of get a better grasp and understanding of what this is, I, I feel like it's going to have a lesser and lesser impact uh, in terms of the college football world. There's just such a newness to it right now that that is sort of you know catching some people off guard and, and certainly attracting certain people elsewhere. I've mentioned this on your show before, but you look at, say, a Texas A&M recruiting class right now. Yes, they signed the number one class a year ago. They only have five commits at this point in time. And in July, that has been much more active from a recruiting standpoint. There's not that same level of, you know, spending, so to speak, when it comes to that A&M class. So as much as I think this NIL, people see the money, they want to go after it. I do think that results are still going to have a very strong sway. And at the end of the day, I think that's ultimately what is going to win out and become a thing in college football once again. To where NIL is a thing that you have to take care of. But it is no longer the number one reason that, say, you go to a school or you transfer to another school. I got. I want to ask you about Georgia, who's going to be here tomorrow. We'll do that here in a moment. Let me remind folks, it's our Kroger Fresh Take with Connor Riley right now, uh, live from SEC Media Days. And, of course, he does that with us each and every week. And speaking of Kroger, boy, what a great time right now to – Go ahead and send a nomination for the child that you know, whether it be your own child or just a child in your life, to be our Kroger five-star kid. We had a great, uh, very, very fun uh, run with this last year. We have another opportunity to give out some terrific gifts to our Kroger five-star kids here this year there as well. So your chance to, to nominate the child that uh, you know, that you're aware of, doesn't take very long to do this, but you can certainly help tell a great story about one of the children in your life. So go to info at dognation.com. That's the email address, info at dognation.com. And you can nominate a child that you know, your own child or whoever else, to be one of our Kroger five-star kids. And starting the week of August 1st, we'll start making those announcements right here on Dog Nation Daily. So the time to start making those nominations right now, we'll draw winners at random, uh, five of them to be announced the week of August 1st. So send an 
email to info at dognation.com if you want to be honored or have the child that you know be honored as one of our five-star kids, courtesy of our friends at Kroger. Connor, last thing for you, tomorrow, Wednesday, that's when the Georgia Bulldogs will take center stage. Uh, Stetson Bennett, Nolan Smith, Cedric Von Prine Granger, of course, Kirby Smart. What do you expect to be the hot topics facing Georgia Kirby, maybe in particular here? What do you expect to be the most interesting stuff to potentially come out of what uh, UGA has to say tomorrow? I mean, they'll get asked to death about championship hangover. They'll get asked about, you know, replacing a legendary defense. I think Stetson Bennett's going to get a lot of interesting questions about sort of his lack of respect given he is the defending national championship quarterback and played pretty well, all things considered last year and so i think those are going to be the major narratives coming out of tomorrow i'm interested to hear what nolan smith has to say uh, obviously i've been a big fan of his for some time and i i, I think as much as people want to hear about the the hangover from the championship defense i i do think there's still a lot of really really good players on this defense nolan smith obviously being one of them and and i wonder if some people might be surprised maybe with the confidence that i believe nolan smith is going to display tomorrow when discussing georgia's 2020 defense uh you'll also get a chance to kind of ask some more direct questions in kind of a non-large room setting with kirby and some of the injury stuff will probably come up there are you on guard at all for any of the injury stories whether it be like a brock bowers or a smile monitor or anything like that for any of those maybe lingering a little bit longer than fans expect it to because i think for the most part people are sort of assuming that georgia is going to be sort of all systems go for the start of summer practices is there any injury story that you're on guard for maybe lingering a little longer than maybe fans wanted to? I think Tate Rattledge is the guy I'm most interested in finding out where he is. Obviously, Brock Bowers, because of his proximity and name, is a guy to know there for that. But, you know, Tate was a guy who I think some of us thought he'd be farther along in the spring. That just proved to not be the case. And, and so, you know, he had, a, I believe, a Liz Bronx surgery, and that's a very significant foot injury, especially for a big guy of his size. He was a guy who started the game against Clemson last year and got hurt on the opening drive. And so, with what we think we need to see out of this offensive line this year, I'm really interested to sort of see what the update is on Tate Rattledge. And I point out this time a year ago, we first found out Kyrus Jackson had a knee injury that, you know, had surgery on and pretty much prevented him from being the guy we thought he was going to be last year. So that's certainly something to be aware of as we hear from Kirby Smart and company tomorrow. Connor, good stuff. Look forward to reading you from SEC Media Days today. And obviously, a lot of very important information coming out of the UGA appearance there tomorrow. And of course, plenty of recruiting stuff in between all that there as well. Hope you have a uh, great day there at the College Football Hall of Fame. I'll see you there a little bit later on, and we'll, uh, of course, talk to you next week here uh, during our Kroger Fresh Take on Dog Nation Daily as well. Yep, have a good one. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, last year, and maybe my memory on this is not as good as it could be, but it seems like there were a lot of injury situations that just kept not getting better, you know, Garris Jackson, Dominic Blaylock, JT Daniels, where, you know, it just seemed like they just kept sort of expecting it to be kind of all behind you, and they just sort of kept lingering there a little bit. Uh, Certainly Darnell Washington was probably an example of that. Uh, And so I guess there's a part of me that I am curious, and I think Connor kind of zeroes in on a pretty important name there when it comes to Tate Rattledge, because had Rattledge been a starter for Georgia last season as he was projected to be, I honestly think the uh, Georgia offensive line would have really benefited from that. And I think that a unit that ultimately helped Georgia win the national championship with Ratledge would have maybe been even better. I think it probably would have been. And when I think about the best version of the Georgia offenses on here for this upcoming season, there's no doubt that Tate would be in my top five there as I consider all of that. So I think Connor is spot on when he kind of zeroes in on 
a health update on Ratledge being a pretty important thing to ask tomorrow. And Georgia reporters like our own Connor Riley and Mike Griffith will get a chance to do just that. Now, there's also a chance that Kirby maybe legitimately doesn't have all the information he needs to to make much of a health evaluation right now. That's certainly possible, but it'd be nice to hear you know, something about some of those types of guys that were held out during the spring. Maybe we'll get a chance to do that. Uh, we'll also talk about some of the other stuff related to SEC Media Days. Here coming up in a moment, let me remind you that we are cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. What a cool time to be doing that. What a great time to be on a Royal Caribbean cruise ship. And you know, there are different kinds of Royal Caribbean cruise ships that you can choose to take a cruise vacation on. And a lot of you know, I like the big ships. I like the like the Oasis class. These are the ships that have like the big aqua theater on the back and really sort of all of the amenities that you could ever imagine a cruise ship having. And yet, in some cases, for other people, it's sometimes maybe a slightly smaller ship, maybe a slightly more intimate experience might be something you might enjoy. And one of the things I guess I never really fully considered, although I was kind of thinking about this the other day, is that there are certain ports of call, you know, more exotic ports, things like that, that in some cases, the really big Oasis-class ships, in some cases, they're just so big that, you know, for some of the cooler exotic ports of call, you know, that may not be uh, a ship that can get there quite as easily. So some of the smaller ships in the Royal Caribbean fleet, those are the ships that are kind of sailing there on a more regular basis. It's just another example of a thing I talk about all the time, which is that you can really tailor a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation to suit your needs, whatever your needs happen to be. You want the biggest experience of them all, where the ship itself is kind of part of the destination, part of the fun. You want to go to some cool places that you maybe read about, heard about, never really seen before, truly exotic type ports there's royal caribbean cruise ship for you that does that there as well it's one of the reasons why you want to trust a real travel expert to help you with you when you make your royal caribbean cruise vacation choice our friends the cruise and vacation authority can do that for you you can find them online tcava.com that's tcava.com you can also give them a call 770-952-8300 that's 770-952-8300 tell them that ba from dog nation daily sent you over there and tell them to help you get set up with a great Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. I think you'll be really glad that you did that. All right, let's talk SEC media days from yesterday a little bit. thought it was interesting with LSU coach Brian Kelly. And look, I don't know how much PR matters. Sometimes it does. Maybe sometimes it doesn't. Obviously, yesterday he knew one of the tasks awaiting him was to kind of find a way to laugh off the error at the beginning of his LSU career when he kind of seemingly got caught faking a southern accent remember the family that he tried to uh, give off and it just didn't go very well and yesterday he kind of joked about that about his accent and he said whatever he said to me there's an aspect of this that in the aftermath of it I don't quite know that Brian Kelly quite got it right I sort of feel like by acknowledging the premise of this and I think you've probably heard me say this before I think he's only given credence to the fact that he did try to be something that he wasn't which to me, if I'm an LSU fan, would actually give me some concern. I know this kind of comes across as gaslighting, and it's lying, and that's not a good thing to do, probably. I mean, it's definitely not good to lie. This probably would be counted as a lie. But it's almost like Kelly would have been better served by acting like he has no idea what people are talking about when they address the fake accent thing. Because here's what I can tell you, is that the people who were at the basketball game in Baton Rouge the day that, that Kelly gave the fake accent heard around the world weren't immediately aware of the controversy. It was only after the video surfaced that people started making a big deal about it. And like everything else, all of this kind of erupts on social media. That if Kelly wanted to pretend like he was completely unaware this conversation was taking place, he probably had some cover 
to be able to do just that, but that's not um, that's not kind of what he chose to do. He sort of seemed to give a little bit of credence to the idea of, hey, I tried this, it didn't work, I got caught being something that I'm not. Boy, good luck trying to handle that type of deal, being at LSU, a place that is truly filled with you know authentic Southerners, authentic, authentic Louisiana-type people. Man, you better be careful trying to be anything other than what you naturally are. And apparently Kelly has sort of openly admitted that's maybe what he did. That's kind of weird. The other thing that kind of comes up here is the situation for LSU at quarterback, and this is more on the field, and I've told you before. When you look at the overall roster for LSU, there's still a good bit of talent here. Um, I am completely lost as to what they have at quarterback. I don't think Miles Brennan's very good. I think if he was, he would have already won the LSU starting quarterback job, his injury situation notwithstanding. Same thing for Jane Daniels, who at the beginning of his career at Arizona State really had the look of maybe being a pretty special quarterback. He's a pretty good athlete at the position there as well, but kind of never got better over the course of his time there at Arizona State. Now he's transferred to LSU. So I'm actually not quite so sure that either Jaden Daniels or uh, Miles Brennan are very good. I don't think Garrett Nussmeyer is probably ready. So you're left to wonder, does LSU have a quarterback at all? We don't know that yet. But if they do, LSU is probably still talented enough to be dangerous. And for a guy like Kelly, for as much as he's kind of rubbed me the wrong way, like a lot of folks have probably felt the way about Kelly throughout his sort of football life, the truth is he has kind of proven to be a pretty good coach. At Notre Dame, they rarely got upset. They never beat teams with uh, superior talent, but they also really never lost very frequently to teams with inferior talent. That's at least some measure of who he is as a coach. And he's going to have some games this year. Think about Florida, for instance, where his coaching couldn't matter. He could coach LSU to a win, but if he has a quarterback, it would certainly make that task a whole lot easier, and that's going to be one of the big mysteries to unfold as the offseason continues and we roll into the start of summer practices. Saw where Lane Kiffin, uh, I spent a little bit of time with Kiffin yesterday in one of the rooms there, and obviously a lot of what Kiffin had to say yesterday was related to the NIL stuff and his belief that college football has now basically moved into a professional sport. He thinks he's so you know, uh, savvy and... Uh, candid when he gives these remarks but the issue I continue to have the guy like Lane Kiffin basically saying it all comes down to how good your boosters are it all comes down you know to how willing they are to pay your players even if we would all acknowledge to a degree that's clearly a huge factor in what's happening right now no one would deny that's at least some of what's going on here but if you're saying the entire effort, which is Kiffin's basically said, I mean, he basically said this yesterday, that the entirety of your effort in terms of getting a roster together sort of rests with how good your boosters are, then guess what? The program doesn't belong to you. The program belongs to the boosters. I've said this a million times, that whoever signs your paycheck, that's your boss. And what Kiffin's essentially saying is, hey, this program doesn't belong to me as the head coach. It belongs to the boosters who might be willing to pay the players. Or maybe even more problematic than that, it becomes this issue of, I don't have any responsibility for this whatsoever. Kiffin's not a very aggressive recruiter. He's never been very good at recruiting. A lot of offensive coordinators aren't. Kiffin, an example of that there too. But when he kind of puts all of this on transfer portal and NIL, it's almost like to me, and if I was an Ole Miss fan, you better believe I'd feel this way. It's almost like to me, Kiffin's not taking enough responsibility for what happens with his program. I am so glad. Listen, you know, people can say Kirby Smart's got a lot to figure out when it comes to NIL, and maybe he does. But I am so glad you don't hear the Georgia coach, speaking for a moment as a UGA fan, I am so glad 
You don't hear the Georgia coach saying, I don't have responsibility for putting players in this roster. That responsibility rests with the boosters. That is not what I'd want the head coach, a guy making millions of dollars, by the way, to say. That attempt to sidestep responsibility, I just think is very presidential on the part of Kiffin, and maybe you'd expect you know nothing less from him. Uh, I played some audio of uh, Eli Drinkwitz a little earlier. In the room I was in with the Missouri coach, something else kind of interesting happened, which is 15 minutes worth of questions. At the end of the time, Drinkwitz, as he was getting up, says, wow, nobody asked me about which scheduling model I would prefer, meaning the eight-game schedule, eight conference schedule with one permanent opponent or the nine-game conference schedule with three permanent opponents. Uh, um, Drinkwitz was like, wow, nobody asked me about that. I guess we'll have to save that for a different time. It almost seems like that's a question that he wished he would have gotten. And what I thought was kind of interesting is later on, because there's a lot of stuff in SEC media that sort of happens at the same time. It's kind of hard to follow it all. When Drinkwitz was meeting with his own reporters, he sort of did the same kind of thing. And I forget what the topic was even about, but at the very end of it, he kind of pulled the same deal where he, oh, it was about regional rivalries and wanting to play uh, uh, Oklahoma and Texas and teams like that more. And he was like, yeah, nobody asked me about this, you know, blah, blah, blah. I guess we'll have to do this some other time. It almost seemed like Drinkwitz went into some of his press conference stuff with an agenda yesterday, hoping to get a chance to talk about certain issues and didn't really get a chance to talk about them. I, I sort of gather that he thinks it will be good for his program if they are playing the westernmost SEC teams a little more frequently, whether that be you know teams in Texas, that's a place that Missouri wants to recruit, or a regional rival like Arkansas. You seem to get the impression that Missouri thinks it's better for it. I mean, this is totally me reading between the lines here, but you sort of get the impression that Drinkwitz might think it's better for his future to be playing more of their games west of the uh, Gateway Arch as opposed to east of the Gateway Arch. I uh, sort of got that impression from Eli Drinkwitz yesterday based on some of the questions that he was hoping he would get that maybe he kind of didn't. Uh, day two is today for SEC Media Days. Talked to Connor a moment ago about Alabama, their presence, their arrival. Now you see uh, Shane Beamer. Look at Beamer strutting in. getting. <laughs> South Carolina is usually pretty good with video stuff. They have a good video staff. <laughs> and Beamer kind of plays into this pretty well. Uh, I like Shane Beamer. I think he's good. I think he's fun. Uh, I think he has fun with himself, does not take himself too seriously. One of the most laid-back, normal-acting coaches in the SEC. A lot of these guys just have a hard time acting normal. Uh, Beamer seems to do that pretty well, and this is obviously a pretty uh, – well-done video kind of previewing his arrival at SEC Media Days. That's uh, pretty good stuff from a underrated video staff there at South Carolina. Uh, I'm curious to find out, and I hope, hope to get a chance to ask maybe Shane Beamer about this later on today, about how South Carolina feels about wanting to play uh, Georgia each and every year moving forward. If the SEC does eventually move to a nine-game conference schedule, how badly do the Gamecocks want to see the dogs every year? Maybe we'll ask Beamer about that. Also, obviously, he was very outspoken about Georgia a year ago. I'm sure that may come up again here today there as well. So good stuff with Beamer on that. Clark Lee from Vanderbilt's there, although I doubt anyone will notice. Mike Leach from Mississippi State uh, is there today as, rest, as well as some of his Bulldogs players. This is one of those games that for Georgia this season, Georgia, as you know, goes to Starkville in November. It's been described as a potential trap game for UGA. Uh, is Georgia already on Mike Leach's mind? Maybe we'll get a chance to ask him that at some point in time uh, today. And as we said before, the Alabama Crimson Tide are ongoing there as well. So a lot going down there when it comes to all of that. We'll make that cruising around the SEC. 
courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Also, I want to give you in a moment here some of what I thought was a very interesting answer from Greg Sankey yesterday as it relates to a concern that I think a lot of fans have about the way in which the SEC is changing so fast and the aggressive way in which the SEC seems willing to kind of pursue some of those changes. We'll ask Greg Sankey about that here coming up in just a moment, let you hear the answer that he gave on that. Also want to tell you about a big, big weekend coming up for the Atlanta Braves too. This is something that's got to be on your radar on the other side of the Major League Baseball All-Star break. Of course, the All-Star game is tonight. On the other side of that, though, the Braves have a huge homestand coming up as the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim are on their way to uh, Truist Park. And I live with a very big Braves fan, my 10-year-old son. You better believe he's already talking about this. I believe there's a really good chance that Shoei Otani may actually pitch on Friday night, I believe. But you got Otani, you got Mike Trout, you got one of the most star-studded teams in Major League Baseball, the Angels coming into town, and also uh, all-stars like uh, Austin Riley and Ronald Acuna jr uh they're going to be on hand there for that there as well it's a huge 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 weekend of big stars there at truest park plus um you got the uh, cmt hot prospects concert going on with the brian kelly there as well so some fun live music taking place friday night fireworks as you always have and you got kids day coming up there as well it's going to be on Sunday, July 24th. Super fun when it comes to a Kids Day. You got a pregame parade. Uh, you got a chance to go around the field there on that. You get to uh, make your own sign. They have the sign-making table. You get some uh, the games there in Hope and Will Sandlot. That's like the, the carnival-style game where you like sort of throw the strikes, you pitch the ball, you get a chance to hit in the batting cage, things like that. Those are going to be free there that day. Plus, the first 3,000 kids in the ballpark are going to receive a free blooper squishmallow there as well. So, Kids Day is coming up on uh, July 24th. Angels coming into town, bringing Shoei Otani and Mike Trout there with them. It's going to be one of the biggest weekends for the Atlanta Braves on the other side of the uh, All-Star break with the Angels coming in and the Kids Day there on Sunday, July 24th. So, make sure you check that out. A huge, huge weekend there at Truist Park coming up very soon. Braves.com slash promos for more information on that braves.com slash promos for more information on that all right yesterday at sec media days commissioner greg sankey kind of took center stage related to all the change that is happening around college football and the role the sec is playing in that and the sec kind of at the center of much of that but when i talked to greg sankey yesterday i didn't really get into conference expansion and some of the other stuff that's happening in other places I'm talking about the conference expansion happening right here in the SEC and the way in which future SEC schedules are going to look quite a bit different than they have in the past. And I've heard from many of you, you're not sure you like all of that. And you're not quite so sure you're going to see change for the better when it comes to the SEC on this. So this is what Greg Sankey would say back to you on that. Here's the commissioner from yesterday. You know, the SEC is going to undergo a lot of changes in future years, going to add two more members, schedule is going to change, some rivalries may be done away with. What do you say to fans that are concerned that it might be changing in such a way that it makes the sport or the league they've loved kind of unrecognizable or at least very, very different looking in future years? I don't think that's our reality at all. I think we'll be fully recognizable. And in fact, the question about who we add and how we think about who we add uh, one of our athletics directors said they meet the it just means more test and their fan base is committed. Uh, they play at a high level. Uh, people understand the importance of, of competing and, and being victorious or if, if you lose, how you adjust. 
Uh, that will happen across our 16 members, I think, in every sport. Uh, rivalries won't go away in our new scheduling model. So he says rivalries won't go away in our new scheduling model and mentions the excitement that that he has about bringing in Texas and Oklahoma and the fact that they, as he says, sort of meet the standard of it just means more. And I don't think there's any doubt about that. You know, Oklahoma plays a big-time brand of football. They've been in the college ball playoff several times and then go back to like the history of the program, Barry Switzer, Bud Wilkinson. This is as big a college ball program as kind of exists anywhere. This is clearly a big-time ad for the SEC to bring in the Sooners. You know, Texas, for all the you know the talk that exists around how over, overrated they've been for quite some time, this is still a big-time program. It's certainly a very big following. Uh, there's no doubt that the SEC is a much bigger entity by having Texas and Oklahoma in it. But I just haven't heard from very many folks who are that excited about this. You know, the notion of, oh, the SEC is bigger. But the average fan that I hear from on a regular basis, I haven't really heard – that much in the way of bigger meaning it's better you know the sec better because it adds the sooners and the longhorns the fact of the matter is greg sankey because he sees what this is going to mean for the overall bottom line of the league he's just frankly i believe a lot more excited about the addition of texas and oklahoma than the average sec fan is and then as far as what he says about the rivalries not going away and the and the the opportunity for a lot of these rivalry games to still be played. He went into more detail with me about exactly what he means by that. Here's more of the commissioner on that topic. Rivalries may be played on a different pace. So some rivalries that have been played less frequently because people happen to be in different divisions may play more frequently. Uh, rivalry games that may be annually may be every other year. Um, so the, the rivalries won't go away. Uh, the rivalries will be front and center. A, a, a lot of that, whether it's annual or, or, or every other year, uh, will depend on which model we pick. Um, the ability to protect more annual rivalry games um, is there in a, in a three-team um, kind of nine-game model. So that's front and center, but we need to think through the implications of that model. So I would say to our fans, we're going to look exactly the same. Maybe it'll be a little bit different uniform. You're going to see some of the uniforms you know, but you don't see, but once a decade more frequently in football, and uh, we'll continue to rotate people through uh, on a regular basis so you can, you can engage in the emotional outbursts, good or bad, um, in every sport we have. I really think the SEC needs that nine-game model. The more I think about it, the more I ponder on it. I think you need those three permanent opponents. I think you need something about the SEC that continues to feel like the SEC. There's a degree to which if Georgia's not playing Auburn each and every year, this league just would not quite feel like what it once felt like. It'd still be big-time college football. It'd be probably the biggest version of big-time college football. But it wouldn't quite be the SEC anymore. And, you know, the defense that I think Sankey has offered about that a lot recently is, yeah, well, all of our states are contiguous. The word contiguous got used a lot by Sankey yesterday, meaning they touch each other. You know, this idea of it used to be the SEC, it just means more. Now the rallying cry seems to be all of our states touch each other as if somehow that's way better than the situation of the Big Ten where you've got the far west coast with the L.A. schools and the far east coast with Rutgers. Like, is Georgia supposed to feel some sort of common kinship with Oklahoma because uh, the University of Oklahoma is in a state that touches a state that touches a state that touches a state that touches a state that also touches Georgia? Like, is that supposed to be somehow that makes Oklahoma – 
a cousin to UGA, some sort of kinship there on that. The same thing for Austin. I mean, you know, far away Austin, Texas is from where I'm sitting right now. Somehow, Georgia fans in the state of Georgia feeling kind of like brethren, brotherhood with with the University of Texas. I don't think that's the case at all. Now, it, it doesn't mean that it eventually won't feel like the SEC, but I think the concern that some fans have with the aggressive way in which the SEC is approaching all of this is certainly making the kinds of changes that the average fan is just not quite sure is a change for the better. But I don't think Greg Sankey shows any time, any signs of wanting to slow down anytime soon. Now, I don't believe they're all that, you know, interested in taking more expansion teams in the league right now because I don't truly believe there are any teams left for them to take, at least right now at the moment with the ACC uh, grant of rights contract being what it is and Notre Dame for the moment seemingly holding out with the hope of maybe remaining an independent. I don't believe there's any team for the SEC to currently poach. But there's no doubt, putting that aside, that Greg Sankey right now views his role in the college landscape more as someone to compete with and compete against the other entities as opposed to any kind of form of cooperation whatsoever. There is no more cooperation left. This is now a survival of the fittest race to be the biggest and the best. And if it comes at the expense of destroying the other leagues, I don't think that Greg Sankey would slow down to do that. It's one of the reasons why, as weird as it might sound, I kind of find myself rooting for Notre Dame here a little bit, and that's an odd place for me to be because, typically speaking, I wouldn't root for the Fighting Irish in anything. I guess I did root for them this summer when they were playing Tennessee in the uh, uh, college baseball, but but typically speaking, don't root for the Irish very much. And yet, I, I sort of find myself rooting for the Irish to remain an independent and get the money they feel like they need from NBC to be able to do that because maybe that might be enough to kind of hold all this together, that that might be enough to to keep the 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 Big 12 from absorbing any more Pac-12 teams or you know the Pac-12 could sort of coalesce around their two big fish, Oregon and Washington, that might keep them as a league and maybe the ACC just for the lack of having anywhere else to go. Maybe they might kind of hold together there a little bit. There's a part of me that somehow, some way, wants to still figure out a way for college football to kind of feel like college football. <laughs> if the SEC got its way, I'm not quite so sure uh, that's what would happen. So it's a story worth following, and Greg Sankey certainly had plenty to say about it yesterday. Of course, I mentioned off the top of the show, Year of the Dog, last night on the SEC Network. thought it was terrific, and uh, at least one of y'all found himself in... The show, uh, Davis Mulvane shared this with me. He says, my Orange Bowl emotion got some screen time. So uh, how about that for Davis right there on screen, celebrating in Miami with all of that. That's a, a great thing to be able to see. Uh, good stuff from uh, Davis on that. I believe we have another one to share there as well. Uh, yeah, some of the Alabama fans showing up. You've got uh, Pat Forty on Twitter saying, uh, break it to them gently. Keely Ringo still hasn't been tackled. Uh, very funny to see an Alabama fan showing off that national championship ring, the uh, the hat there. But unfortunately, that ring is with the Georgia Bulldogs here right now. Uh, Jay Busby on Twitter having some fun with that too. So Bama fans showing up, doing what they do, but dogs on top right now in college football. Never let them forget that. Lousy, stinking Gators, much the same way. 4,940 days since they have won a national championship. Tough to be a Gator. How about Gator hater countdown? 102 days from right now. Dogs back in Jacksonville, beating Florida again. Billy Napier will be at SEC Media Days tomorrow. Don't you know he knows what he's in store for? 
We'll see you tomorrow as well. Dog Nation Daily presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews Cooldown. R.S. Andrews is the one you turn to for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. And, of course, then get your water heater replaced the same day if it goes out. So make sure you find them online at rsandrews.com for more on that. I talked about the fact that I really enjoyed that year of the dog documentary on the SEC Network last night. A couple of tweets I got, though, kind of said something different. Uh, a guy called Not the Jets general manager says, I thought it was pretty weak overall. He says the interesting part were the practice highlights with Munkin riding Stetson Bennett and Kirby riding uh, the defensive lineman, Devontae Wyatt and Jordan Davis. He says, but all in all, it was a little sterile as a presentation. It didn't capture the thrill, the sheer thrill and the joy of the ride. I guess what I'm kind of comparing this to, though, is is the fact that you just don't get a lot of unfettered access to college football teams very much. And it's probably fair to say this wasn't certainly unfettered, but it's a way more unfettered than you ever get from Georgia and you rarely get from college football teams. College football, just for whatever reason, is allowed to be far more protective of its media ecosystem, if you'll pardon the phrase, than the NFL is. The NFL has, you know, NFL films and there's, you know, uh, there's inside the NFL every week and there's just a lot more kind of cinema style coverage of the NFL on a regular basis you don't get a ton of that with college football and I thought this was kind of a you know kind of a nice departure from that norm um let's play ball on Twitter also kind of agreeing with that too thought it maybe could have been better he says he's seen better stuff out there there is definitely some of the stuff you'll see online that kind of gives you chills sometimes more than that some of the stuff that regular fans have done I've really enjoyed as kind of that thing that sort of induces those chill bumps a little bit but I thought the thing on the SEC network last night was overall pretty well done, and obviously it's on a subject that we all very much like there as well. Uh, Jeremy Williams also writes in to say, hopefully Georgia fans enjoy each journey. I know some Bama fans that if they don't win at all, they view it as a failure. I've learned it's disappointing, but it's no fun, and there's only joy in winning at all. I'm just enjoying the ride each year. Yeah, I say this a lot, and I don't know how much this makes me like the average Georgia fan or maybe makes me slightly different, but ultimately – my goal as a fan for my favorite team is not necessarily to see that team win the national championship every season. Obviously, I'd love that to be the case. But the thing that matters to me most is that long-range story of being in contention. And I'm willing to tolerate a little bit of disappointment in order to stay in the mix with the belief that over the course of time, hey, it's going to work out and you're going you're to win your fair share maybe handful of championships more than one championship you're gonna have a chance to do that I mean like for as disappointing as like the Braves run through the 90s into the early 2000s kind of felt at times the truth is that was way better than what would follow that for a few years when the Braves for a short period seemingly weren't relevant at all that it was at least better to be in the mix knowing that you had a postseason opportunity coming your way every October and you know Braves obviously once again relevant right now in comparison like say a team like the Falcons which since the Super Bowl debacle has kind of been sort of out of the uh, NFL discussion all the way around if you're a Falcon fan it's really hard to endure and so I just like the idea of being in the mix I love the idea that Georgia starts the season as a championship contender when the playoff rankings eventually come out in October you know Georgia's going to be talked about on that TV show that come December, all of Georgia's end-of-season goals will still very much be in front of it in all likelihood. You'd expect that to be true anyway. And you can't guarantee outcomes. If you could guarantee the outcome, it'd be boring and not worth watching. 
But just knowing you're a long-range contender for me is almost as enjoyable, if not more enjoyable, than the idea that you actually got over the hump and won the national championship. As someone who does this for a living, but also as someone who just enjoys consuming college football content, the other content that other people produce, I just like the idea that my favorite team is relevant. And that's the thing I hope never changes. And for those of you who are enjoying this ride, I hope you're getting the most out of it. And I hope that we continue to be able to enjoy it for a long time to come. We'll be back tomorrow with more comments as a part of our R.S. Andrews podcast, School Down. In the meantime, check out R.S. Andrews online at rsandrews.com for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. Uh, they'll show up on time. They'll do the work that's promised. The price is promised. That's what R.S. Andrews will do for you. You'll have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We'll look forward to talking to you then.